Welcome to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. My name is Chip the Block, and I am your host. Yes, we're a group of law enforcement professionals that talk about today's news and issues, but we do it from a law enforcement perspective. I'm going to go ahead and introduce the panel, guys. If you don't mind waiting for the video portion of our show, yes, we have Lieutenant Jessica Taylor all the way from Seattle. So thanks for being on the show. Uh, retired Lieutenant Jessica Taylor, appreciate it. Also, uh, retired Sergeant Jamie Borden, but he's with Critical Incident Review at criticalincidentreview.com. More information about them. So thanks for being on the show, uh, Sarge. Appreciate that. A shout out to our sponsors. We have globalordnance.com, Gauls, Gunner.com, and Medicare.live. We're fueled by Bang Energy. Yes, I'm still drinking the original sweet iced tea. Not not the same can, though. It's a new can. I just opened it. It's ice cold. But yeah, so thanks, Bang, for the fuel. Also, a shout out to uh, Brian Burns with the free press at tampafp.com. Thanks for hearing our content. And Ray Dietrich, Red Voice Media, redvoicemedia.com. Uh, what a great source for stories, and they're carrying our content. We're streaming the eight locations right now, in addition to the uh, radio stations that we're live on, and then the additional radio stations that are carrying the show, you know, after the fact. But three of the locations, three of the eight that we're streaming to, belong to the Red Voice Media. Those three Facebook pages alone have about a million followers. So thanks to Ray Dietrich and Red Voice Media for helping to make that happen. Guys, we have a great lineup and, uh, and, and a really good show. But first, let's go ahead and remember what today is. It's a special day. Uh, today is September the 11th. Uh, so I'm sure you guys remember what happened about, uh, what, let's just say about uh, 21 years ago or 22 years ago. Wow. Uh, we've come a long way. Um, I remember, I think everybody remembers where they were at. Um, but, you know, over this weekend yesterday, I went out to eat with my wife and the waiter um, that was waiting on us was actually born the same year um, on September 11th where the attacks happened. And, you know, his, so what I always worry about is this, our, our youth, our replacements in life, you know, are going to lose the effectiveness of knowing what went down on September the 11th. His parents did a great job on, on educating him and, and, and him knowing what went down and how important it was in American history and the resolve that we, that we showed as Americans. And, and yeah, look at, look at the, the backdrop for, uh, uh, for Jessica. Um, you know, she's got, you know, the, the American flag and, uh, um, wow. And, uh, it's, it's, it's what's behind the flag. That's even more important, right? Jessica, no, but, uh, but no, look, it's, uh, you know, just don't let our young, our younger generation lose the importance of, of what it was like, um, to go through that as a country, it was devastating. Everybody was in shock and then everybody got really, really mad. And, um, I think, I think that at least most of us did, um, comments guys, I'm going to, let's open up some mics. And I, I tell you, I remember I was working Tampa police department. I was on, um, in the detective division and actually, um, um, domestic violence, uh, unit is where I was at when this thing went down. And I remember watching everybody it just shut down the whole office. Everybody was glued to the TV set. And that was just after the first plane strike. That was before we found out that the other one was going down. And then we watched that go down. And, uh, then of course, you know, we heard about the third plane. Um, and then the other attempts, it was just, it just, you know, it took on a life of its own. Jamie? Yeah, surreal. I was in Connecticut and actually performing with a, uh, a rock group at the Mohegan Sun. Woke up that morning to the, the radio alerts and could see the smoke from the oh, towers wow. across the bay. We were actually staying in New Haven. Surreal day. And it's, um, it's, it's guided us to where we are today in, in everything that I'm doing, at least as a law enforcement retired law enforcement professional and what I've gone into into retirement. Jessica, you know I, was, I was working off duty at low budget money tree at the time. And uh, when I heard the news, 
So I was. How'd you hear? How'd you hear the news out of curiosity? Was it on the radio or verbally? Well, or I was. I was driving my car to um, work off duty, and it came across the radio. So, but I didn't really know the full extent of it until I was done with the with the gig. But um, it was awful. But it, a couple of years ago, I got the opportunity to go to New York and go to you know, wow. one world trade center. So yeah. that was pretty moving. You know, um, I, I, my hat, I mean, my, my heart goes out to these families that are still being affected, you know, by, by being there at ground, you know, uh, ground zero on that, you know, the firefighters, I mean, golly, and my, uh, New York firefighters and police officers, you know, they gave their lives to pay that ultimate price, just trying to get, you know, to save lives, get people out of the, out of the buildings and stuff. It was just, and not even fully being aware of what was going down and, and, uh, wow. It's just so, so yeah. But, uh, but we also don't want to forget the other September 11th in Benghazi either. No, so. that's true. That's a good point. So, so yeah, our, our nation is uh, a lot tougher than some people might imagine. And the young people who really weren't around when this thing went down, there's a lot of youth that just simply, um, they don't understand what, how important the military is and they don't really understand what we owe to people in the military. And look, I'm retired law enforcement. I mean, we all are at this point. However, how the, the importance of having law enforcement, um, they just don't get it. So hopefully families, people listen to the show, raise them right, make sure they understand these things so it doesn't take another, you know, 9-11 or, or another tragedy to get them there where they need to be in the first place. So um, final words, Jamie? No, I, I think you're spot on. It's um, sometimes the memories of the past and what we've dealt with that drive us forward are the most important thing. And uh, I have the same fears as you. And we see a lot of that in our youth today. We see people that don't understand what it is to actually have something to complain about as it stands we don't have anything to complain about so watch your mouth <laughs> that's yeah good good point um yeah we just we got to do it bigger and better than than the uh than the other guy so yeah absolutely yeah. well guys on that note and uh and look i'm it makes us who we are today so there are it, it's helped make us stronger so there there are so there are silver linings to what we go through. You always have to look for those silver linings. You just can't let it be doom and gloom. So there are positives to, you know, to going through what we've been through, not just what we're talking about in 9-11, but, you know, in life. So it, it just, it helps define who you are um, and separate the men from the boys, so to speak. So, um, so that said, uh, we've got an interesting um, story coming up. Now it's going to be in Jessica's neck of the woods, but on police one, Seattle PD has achieved full sustained and lasting compliance with federal regulations, according to a judge, this is what a judge ruled. Uh, but, but I almost feel like adding a tagline saying "not exactly," especially after talking to Jessica about the story over the weekend. So, um, in Seattle, it says after 11 years, three police chiefs and more than 200 million dollars, a federal judge ruled that the Seattle Police Department has achieved quote full, sustained, and lasting compliance unquote uh, with most most of the provisions of a federal settlement agreement that was intended to transform Seattle Police Department. The judge's ruling announced at a hearing on Wednesday morning. Uh, it's a landmark for the city and for the department. It serves to essentially end court oversight of police performance in Seattle, with the exception of two areas. So the U.S. District Judge, his name is James Robert. He said that he would retain jurisdiction over the key areas of crowd control, including tactics and use of force and officer accountability. Judge Robert uh, was clear uh, that it has been a winding and difficult path to compliance with the federal consent.
decree. Don't hear that word a lot, do we? It was established with an agreement between the U.S. Department of Justice or the DOJ and the police department back in 2012. And borrowing a quote from Winston Churchill, he said this really marks, quote, the end of the beginning of police reform in Seattle. So that's where we've got. Uh, so, Jessica, I got to hear from you on this. Uh, is this really that big of a deal? Well, we've been under the consent decree since, well, like you said, like 12 years ago. And I never felt like we needed one in the first place. <laughs> and this thing has been just dragging on and on and on to the tune of over $200 million in taxpayer money to the DOJ and the consent decree. So just hanging on to these final two pieces, it's like, okay, so you're good and you're great, but we're still going to hang on and suck more money out of you is how I feel about it. All right. That's an interesting perspective that a lot of people see. A lot of people don't really realize that the consent decree was even in existence in Seattle. It's just something kind of like out of sight, out of mind. People don't, right. but, but there have been a number of consent decrees over, over um, certain troubled departments over the years so it's really nothing new it's just that we just don't add a side out of mind no and you know i come from seattle and so i know how seattle works and compared to a lot of other cities who have much bigger problems than seattle and they don't have a dis consent decree yeah so you know it's just at this point it's just in my opinion just to get more money out of the citizens of Seattle. All right. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for the insight on that. So we'll, uh, any, any more news coming down on that? We'll keep you guys informed, Jamie. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a price tag. You know, they have monitors that come in and, and, and I know some of these department of justice monitors, most of them are retired chiefs and they, um, I, I ask, what are you looking for? And, you know, they're perusing reports and they're, it, it's not really an ongoing investigation in terms of individual incidents. It's, it's a look at pattern and practice. And, and, and the bottom line is most departments that have been through a consent decree like this, the culture of the department is adversely affected, uh, both in the, you know, the boots on the ground, the management, how leaders uh, conduct themselves as leaders, and it's it's not always a beneficial uh, outcome on these things, and and the departments suffer greatly for it. I've had a couple of cases in the Washington area, and the truth and the factual data in these cases is 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 wildly affected by how the DOJ monitors and the DOJ uh, designs the outcome of these incidents. And the bottom line is. There is an enormous amount of money being paid to the federal government by that department, and I'm surprised they even survived it financially. Many departments do not. Wow. So you actually had a time, had an opportunity to talk to some of the investigators that are that are, um, I, I guess, examining during the consent decree, conformance, compliance, all that kind of stuff. Interesting. Yeah, I've I've had, and and that's the circle that I work in. These are all experts. These are people that that conduct the work that I work. They analyze these incidents ongoing, and they're good. They're good monitors, but I still don't know quite what they're looking for. <laughs> all right. Well, look. On that note, it's time for our first commercial, guys. So stick with us. We got plenty more coming up. We'll be right back. You know, Motion DSP. They've been supporting the law enforcement profession for over 15 years with the robust speed of video and audio redaction and enhancement software. The Motion DSP software is easy to use, requires no specialized training or expertise, and you can save valuable time with Spotlight's one-click automating tracking feature and forensic suite of enhancement filters to achieve results quickly in just three steps, import, 
process, and export. Now, Spotlight is supposed specifically for redaction, designed to work with video from any camera source, and using motion DSP's algorithms and object tracking technology, it automates the process of blurring faces and other identifiable information, and it saves users countless hours compared to manual frame-by-frame -frame redaction and forensic enhancement software that allows users to quickly process and analyze any video file format using patent super-resolution algorithms and enhancement filters to reveal an unseen level of detail. You can actually get forensically valid evidence from just low-quality video in minutes instead of hours. So you, you can learn more about all these products and all these capabilities by simply going to MotionDSP.com, MotionDSP.com. All right, guys, welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. We're still live from the Boss Talk Radio Studios in Plant City, Florida. I saw that message on the private chat, Jamie. Thank you much for that. Hey, guys, uh, we've got an uh, interesting story that's got a video component. In fact, a couple of these now. But look, our favorite law enforcement video channel is called This is Butter. You can find it at rumble.com. And, and kind of like us, you know, they've been attacked by uh, YouTube. And, of course, YouTube sought the – I guess we should be happy that we're big enough now that YouTube has set their sights on, on, on sites and shows like ours, like they've done the – Dan Bongino and a bunch of other guys. So, um, so yeah, you'll find our presence on YouTube, but none of our videos on YouTube. And, uh, and that's all by design. I had to, had to delete our videos before they deleted our channel for us. So, uh, but if you go to rumble.com, this is butters, the channel you want to go to the best law enforcement video channels out there. Um, and I know that Jamie's told me that he's using that almost exclusively for what he's doing, uh, with his teaching and classes with critical insert review. So, um, so this is butter. Good job. So NYPD body cam shows a suspect being fatally shot by multiple officers as he attempts to stab an officer. Guys, um, not long ago, we did a elevator video where <laughs> these cops all get it. They all load up in one ele elevator. They go up, doors open. You got a bad guy there waiting for them with a knife out. And it wasn't the most thought out uh, tactic, but that's the way it went down. This goes down a little differently, but we still got an elevator involved here. So body cam video shows the moment a knife building maniac. So they 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 nail this guy as a maniac. He's charged at he charges at a uh, unsuspected. NYPD officers inside the Roosevelt Island apartment building. It happened last month, seconds before he was killed in a hail of gunfire. And I would say that there definitely was a hail of gunfire involved. So the 21-year-old assailant, he tried to corner three cops inside the elevator on August the 5th. It showed no signs of stopping when they displayed their firearms. So the disturbing footage shows the man storming towards one female officer who pushed a taser into his chest. Now he's charging her with a knife. She pushed the taser into his chest as a warning sign, but ultimately did not discharge the weapon. The two colleagues that are with her that are flanking her, they quickly pull the triggers, and they weren't carrying tasers, by the way. They were carrying firearms. They blasted this young guy, bad guy, more than a dozen rounds, and the video shows he initially survived, continues to wave in the knife as he's laying on the floor. They're screaming at him to drop the knife. The man was later taken by EMS to a local hospital where he died from his wounds. His identity has not yet been released. Um, it goes on to say the officers had been inside the building after receiving multiple 911 calls uh, from the man's relatives who said that he was threatening them with a knife. So three had just entered one of the elevators and they were preparing to ride it to the main floor while two others were trying to prop open the lobby door with flyers in anticipation of backup. Uh, they didn't want the door to close and automatically lock. So the sixth cop that's watching his colleagues do all this stuff, he had his back turned when a second elevator came down and the assailant flew out with a knife raised. Cop never saw him coming. 
The body cam shows the maniac trying to slash the unsuspecting cop before turning towards three who were covered in the elevator. So this bad guy with a knife takes a strike at the cop. Looks like it maybe hit him in the back, hopefully where the vest where the vest was. Um, cop is ob- oblivious to the threat even being there. And I'm not saying there's something wrong with it. I'm just saying that, you know, you can't be 360 24-7. Uh, the suspect's relatives told police that the man was off his medication under the influence of marijuana. Just a perfect combination. So that's what we have with this. Jamie, I know that you've watched it and done a breakdown. So, Sergeant, love to hear uh, what you have to say. <clears throat> so one of the main points that I want to make in this video is how quickly this occurred. From the time the elevator door opens until that knife is being blocked by another subject, the only reason the officer standing there wasn't injured or killed is because there, the officer with the body camera that captures it intervenes at some level. I'm not sure exactly how that block took place. Um, the exit from the elevator and to the stabbing motion was sub one second. Now imagine 1,001, that's one second in general. This all happens and we say, well, he was oblivious to it and it's absolutely right, he was. We hear the, you know, the elevator door opens, this guy comes out so rapidly. The time it took him to swing the knife was around 0.25 seconds. It takes you three tenths of a second to blink your eye. All right, so in the blink of an eye, literally in the blink of an eye, these timing components where officers are uh, remanded to decision-making being scrutinized in slow motion, being scrutinized in one-frame increments that can be looked at forever. It's called slow-motion phenomenon. This entire event for, from the attack of the officers to the point that he was shot was maybe four seconds, five seconds. And I didn't do a, a totality of time on that, but it happens very quickly. Now, here's another point I want to make. Had the officer wanted to stab the officers in the elevator, he had plenty of time to do it. Or the he bad guy. Stood, yeah. yeah, the bad guy had his knife out and was standing in the doorway while the officers drew their weapons. That timing component, um, if you think about the first attack the timing component is it's profound these officers responded as quickly as they could and and still that that assailant would have had time to to create immense damage and and injury to these officers substantial bodily harm potentially even death so that is a pristine example of how quickly things occur and where officers are scrutinized for their ability to make decisions. And and I, I shudder to think that the argument might be, well, they failed to de-escalate or they <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And which is, you know, that that's all completely off base. And it's, it's a completely uh, obscure narrative based on the reality, uh, the reality that these officers were dealing with in those microsecond chasms where their lives were hanging in the balance. You know, good breakdown, Jamie. You know, um, Serge, the and just for our listeners, look, if people want to watch this video, look, we're, we, we, we love our audio user uh, listeners right now. So people listen to us on podcast or, you know, live on the radio or even delayed on the radio. You know, thank you guys so much. Um, we describe in great detail what's going on so you guys don't feel like you're missing out on anything. But this live show uh, that's, you know, from 12 to 1 o'clock Eastern time, Monday through Friday, it will reappear at rumble.com the very next day, the next morning. So tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock, it'll be on Rumble. The difference is, is that uh, we will embed the videos that we talk about into that you know, produced production version of the show at 9 o'clock. That happens you know, Tuesday through Saturday. Uh, but, uh, but wow, when that guy, after he takes the stab at our officer and goes back into the elevator with a female with two cops armed with guns on the side, she's stuck with a taser. I don't know how that happened, but guys, 
Our second commercial break, we'll be right back. All right, guys. Yes, it's finally time to talk about Galls at Galls.com slash Leo. And certainly by now, if you guys have been watching our show for any amount of time, you're aware of the new Galls. Galls.com slash Leo. Again, it's the country's leading uniform, clothing, equipment, and gear provider for law enforcement. And they have a variety of offerings, everything from multi-tools and flashlights to duty boots and tactical gear. And as our panelist, Captain Brett Bartlett, always says, they pretty much have everything for law enforcement except for guns and ammo. So at galls.com slash Leo, if you haven't been there lately, please check them out. The amount of gear that they have. If you have a friend, family, loved one, you know, that's, that's in law enforcement, you know, everything on their, on their duty belt, except for guns and ammo, you get at Gauls, including the duty belt itself. In fact, there's a good chance that a lot of that stuff came from Gauls. So um, they have gift cards. They have just a fantastic opportunity for you to take care of your loved ones or yourself if you're involved in law enforcement. So check out that gear. Again, it's Gauls.com slash Leo. Don't wait to do it, and you should do it today. So that brings us to our next and our newest sponsor. It's a Global Ordinance. Get ready for a coupon code from Global Ordinance, your ultimate destination for ammo. So GlobalOrdinance.com provides high-quality ammunition for all of your shooting needs, ensuring precision, reliability, and unmatched performance. So for a limited time only, and it is getting ready to end, they're offering free shipping on all ammo orders that are over $200 with their exclusive coupon code, which just happens to be Leo Roundtable. So visit globalordinance.com today. Explore the wide selection of ammo. Use coupon code Leo Roundtable for free shipping on your order. Let's talk about Medicare insurance options. There's over 80 options in just Hillsborough County alone. Now, the benefits can change annually. So how do you know that you're getting the benefits for your specific health care needs? The answer is simple. Contact mymedicare.live or call area code 813-245-6656, especially if you're in the Tampa Bay area. Talk to James or Bobby, meet with them in person. They'll save you money on your medication co-pays, find plans that your doctors accept, and get more of the benefits that you qualify for. So again, mymedicare.live. All right, guys, welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show, still live from the Boss Hog Radio Studios in Plant City, Florida. So guys, our last story, and it was a sensational one, the elevator story. If we If we have successfully... Um, talk about that one to exhaustion. Let's go to our next story, which also has a video component. So we're still at rumble.com, our favorite law enforcement video channel called This Is Butter. So now we've got uh, LASD, so Los Angeles Sheriff's Office. They fatally shoot a man who pulled out a gun at a Carson gas station. What are you doing here? Hey, hey, don't reach for it. Put your hands up. Put your hands up. What is it? Put your hands up. What is it? Hey, listen. Hey, you still got four seconds. Put your hands up. Hey, don't reach for it. Hey, don't reach for it. Hey, get on the ground. Hey, get on the ground. Hey, get on the ground then. Get on the ground. Hey, get on the ground. Hey. Listen, get on the ground. Yeah. What's the address here? Open the door. But listen to how this thing goes down. And again, radio and podcast listeners, our audio listeners, we're describing great detail what's going on so you're not missing out on anything. So on August the 7th, at 1.55 in the morning, so it's early, LASD Carson Station deputies responded to a business in the city of Carson 
But again, it's the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Office regarding the call of a person acting suspiciously. So information of the call indicated that a man was causing a disturbance and screaming at the gas pumps. Hey, it's two in the morning. What do you expect? So the male was later identified as 34-year-old Arturo uh, uh, Cernus of Los Angeles. Upon arrival, the deputies locate our, our I'm going to call him our bad guy, Cernus. He's near the west entrance of the gas station and immediately notices the butt of a handgun protruding from his pants pocket. Now, the deputies give him numerous orders to keep his hands up, don't reach for or remove the firearm from the pocket. So our bad guy ignores the deputy's commands, and he begins to draw the gun from inside the pocket. I'd say it's fairly safe to say that's a, uh, a bad move. So now, remember, we're in California, so it's all about less lethal there, right? So a less lethal 40-millimeter foam projectile was fired at our bad guy. However, uh, he continues to draw the weapon from his pocket, and almost simultaneously, uh, a deputy involved shooting occurs. Now, uh, when he draws it, he flings it in the air, um, so he's struck by gunfire and tosses the firearm to the ground at the same time. Uh, paramedics pronounce him dead at the scene, and it ends up being a CO2-powered BB pistol, and they recovered that at the scene. So that's what he had. Um, not that that matters a lot, but it, it was a BB pistol. Um, still would qualify for deadly force under most circumstances. Uh, Sergeant Jamie. So, and, and I don't want to, Jessica, do you have anything to say on this before I start my tirade? <laughs> The, the Seattle, the Seattle narrative. No, because actually I didn't get that video in my email. So, okay. Out. All right. So this is, this is absolutely a, a, another classic example of a shooting that's going to be controversial uh, because in hindsight, it's going to be determined that the shooting wasn't necessary based on AB 392, 835A and the changes uh, introducing the terminology necessary into the reasonable standard. So, and, and understand this, that's a hindsight attribute. It's, it's known after the fact that this is a CO2. In this case, this guy is considered not armed. And that's, that is now going to become the jurisdiction of the California DOJ. They investigate every uh, incident where a subject is shot when they are not armed or deadly force is used. Well, <clears throat> from the officer's perspective, this guy was armed. And it, when we look at the breakdown, again, a very light timing analysis on this, from the time that our uh, 5150 suspect grabs that weapon and, and he pinches it with his fingers, which we can see on the video, and begins to remove it, it from the pocket to the time the first round hits is about four tenths of a second between four tenths and five tenths of a second and that is like an accident reconstruction template that is the visceral response to the officers responding to the view of this weapon after multiple commands have been given after no communication is developed and not through the fault of the officers they're attempting to communicate with this subject and and attempting to get a change in behavior which they're not getting and we can never say in hindsight that the officers knew what his intentions were the the subject ends up throwing the weapon away but that's that happens after the officers have made their decisions in this split second environment where the consequences from their perspective are life and death that's and and so those split second decisions was it reasonable and necessary to them in the moment based on all of the pre-existing information they had and does the evidence align with what they stated occurred and and i can tell you just from a light analysis on this it's going to be controversial there's going to be litigation in some fashion whether it's criminal or civil so so jamie let me ask you not not that it matters but could you tell because i i had trouble discerning 
the, I saw the guy toss the gun, but when when did the when did he get struck with a bullet? Was it was it while he's tossing the gun? Was it immediately afterwards or prior? Do you know do you know when the bullet actually hit our bad guy? He had not tossed the weapon, but at the point that the first something hit him. I'm not okay. sure if it was, and, and that, that comes in a very uh, uh, deep analysis of the video evidence, which takes an enormous amount of time. I don't have time to do that on these cases. However, he's hit with something prior to the weapon leaving his fingers. Okay. Now, remember, and, and, and this is what I, I want to throw out to your listeners, no matter what, nothing is instantaneous. Officers take time to observe and orient, make sense of the scenario, and then push forward a decision. Officers also take uh, that same amount of time to change their behavior pattern, to change, to stop pulling the trigger. So even gotcha. though he threw the weapon, that happened after the first decision had been driven forward. The Got marble's it. been dropped down the pipe, something changes, another marble gets dropped down the pipe resembling a thought. That first marble's gonna come out. The second marble comes out and they stop, but remember that the dynamics of movement have still happened. So the officers on video, it looks awful. And and but that's not the reality that we have to analyze in these cases. It's uh, it's all based on those components of microsecond timelines. So my next um, observation, because I, I kind of hinted at it when I was going through the story, and, and this is more for the civilians, the non-Leos that are that are listening to this program. So let's say that we know in advance that. I'm going to, I hate to say it's not a real firearm, but it, let's just say that we, that we understand that the firearm he has, it's a CO2-powered BB gun or pellet gun, which it was in this case. Let's say that we're armed with that information, uh, for lack of a better term, armed with it, uh, before the shooting goes down. Um, my argument would be that, you know, as a police officer, you don't have to be in fear of, of, of deadly force, uh, only serious bodily injury or deadly force. And my argument would be that even if you know that he's got a BB gun, that he could employ serious bodily injury or even death if he hits you in the right spot with that gun that he's got, even though it's a CO2-powered BB gun. Um, so I'm just saying that a, a cop could use that argument in justifying deadly force, even if he knew in advance that it was a BB gun. Would you agree? or? Uh, well, I... I I would agree. You're, you're gonna, the, the argument is going to be deep, and, and uh, again, there's a lot of caveats to that. In Nevada, and this I'm, I'm parsing states here, in Nevada, that's still considered a deadly weapon. In California, it is not. I, I don't believe that it's considered. It is considered a weapon still, and, and they've got, they've got um, certain laws, and, and I apologize. I didn't have time to go through the associated laws with this. But the bottom line is, it, it's still a weapon, right? It, it, would it change the behavior of those officers in that moment? I, I believe it would. If they knew it was a BB gun and that information was there, uh, I can almost guarantee that it's going to change the outcome of this event. And, and doesn't I don't know what the outcome would be, but I know it's going to have an effect on what those officers are doing. It would me. Let me put it that way. If I knew, I've had a case where I had information about this this type of environment with a with a, a fake weapon and it certainly changed the way that i responded i know it's dangerous but i also know that my tactics are pretty solid and uh, i dealt with it in the way that i needed to had it been a real weapon and i didn't have that information let's say i didn't have the information it was fake it would have certainly changed the outcome so i think that producer jimmy has a question so jimmy let's hear it yeah now i don't know how accurate this information is but i've been told that getting popped with a pellet gun can be about the same as getting hit with a 22 short is there any truth to that 
a 22 short is moving at a considerably higher velocity. It will enter your body and turn your insides into hamburger. Uh, a 177 caliber pellet gun is not traveling at that velocity. It will enter the body. It will pierce the skin, but it's not going to create uh, a continued wound path um, mm -hmm. through that. Remember, a 22 is a very small surface area moving at a very high velocity. Just as many or more people are injured or killed with a 22 every year than any other handgun caliber. So, mm -hmm. But a 177 pellet gun does not have that type of um, and not one like this, I should say. There are high-powered pellet guns that, that could be used as a sniper weapon. But right. this, that particular BB gun is not going to create a, a continued wound path through the bottom. Oh, well, thank you for straightening that out. And what is the, which one would be more powerful, the CO2 charge or the pump type? Pump, pump. pump. Okay, now I know. No, yeah. Thanks for straightening it out. A, CO, a CO2, and I, and I actually still have one. Um, um, they run it, I think it's between 150 and 300 feet a second, mm -hmm. which is, um, um, you know, but with a pump, especially with a, well, normally the rifles or the pumps, you can mm -hmm. really, you can really get some, yeah. but yeah, but, but you're, but a 22, um, I'm assuming they go around 800 feet a second and, uh, and, and higher. they don't higher. Yeah, the speed of sound, the speed of sound is 1100 feet a second, right? So are, are yeah. they, do they go as fast as the speed of sound on that or? Uh, no, I, I don't believe so, and, and I'm getting out of my lane here, but I know a 45 moves at around 800 to 1,100 feet per second, and a 22 is moving considerably faster than that. Yeah, that so. 45 is a fat bullet to go through the air that, that fast, so yeah. Yeah, it's like Good shooting point. a billboard at someone. <laughs> We're coming up on an ad, folks. Oh, we are? Okay. Well, look, uh, it's time for our last commercial break then, so I'm glad you saw that, Jimmy, because I, I could have I kept talking, and, you know, we can't, we wouldn't be able to stop Jamie from talking. So, look, our last commercial break, we'll be right back. All right, guys, it's time to talk about GunLearn at GunLearn.com, and no matter how much you know about guns and ammunition or how much you think that you know, there's that knowledge gap that leaves you confused and missing the complete picture. GunLearn.com, however, they've taken the confusion of learning, they've actually made it easy. GunLearn.com is the first, and it's the only company that offers a step-by-step -step program that takes you from your present knowledge level to become a safe, uh, competent, and an expert, really, at firearms and ammunition. So you'll be considered a certified firearm specialist. They provide citations from federal law and ATF rulings for every point in time to ensure accuracy. And their training is approved by major forensic organizations, law enforcement agencies, and also firearm manufacturers. Since 1996, they taught everything that LEOs, that's law enforcement officers, need to know about firearms and ammunition to all facets of law enforcement. Now, you can start today with online training, or you can register to attend a live seminar. And you can actually get free training for yourself and the personnel at your agency by hosting a seminar at no cost. So come aboard as one of the most firearm knowledgeable people at gunlearn.com. All right, guys, welcome back to the LEO Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show, still live from the Boss Hog Radio Studios in Plant City, Florida. You know, uh, we're having some fun typing uh, on the private chat, and the streamers are talking and stuff. Jamie was telling an incredible story in the private chat, and uh, and uh, I, I probably had to ruin it by by trying to pop a joke in at the end of it. But uh, uh, but but great uh, dialogue and info and insight on this last story, uh, Sergeant. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to add? Well, I'll tell you what, um, Sergeant. I want you to talk uh, just to add your credibility on the topics and stuff because you've been weighing in on these. Um, Let's talk a little bit about, just tell our, you know, about Critical Lens Review. Tell our people what you do um, and uh, and how they can find you. And if there's any any final point you wanted to make on the on the last story that we just covered, too. No, I, I don't have any necessarily final points. And unfortunately, uh, we 
require much more information to have a, a much more in-depth analysis. I'm, these are all very surface-oriented opinions about behavior. Uh, criticalincidentreview.com, I can be found there. Any of my colleagues can be found there. And basically what uh, we do is I, I provide lectures and education for departments, uh, both federal agencies and local jurisdictions, municipalities, sheriff's departments, police departments, regarding the investigative process and the review and analysis of these critical incidents. And it's, uh, it's in place large in part to keep the knee-jerk reaction from occurring before a full investigation has happened, which is what we see in the narrative process uh, in the media most often, is that there's a knee-jerk reaction to how terrible something looks. And uh, I've got a very in-depth background in forensic video review and examination and uh, the analysis of video. And video is deceiving. It can be very deceiving, especially when we don't get the pre-existing information and the information that's known in hindsight of what the officers knew at the moment that force was being used. So all those are very critical components in the investigative process, and that's what we do at Critical Incident Review. All right, beautiful. There you guys have it, criticalincidentreview.com. Check them out if you haven't done so yet. So look, since we've gone to, I guess we've gone through the last story with the video component, at least the most recent one, anyhow, let's jump to our uh, our next update, well, you know, this has got a video component, too. So it's at Rumble. This is Butter. We've got about seven minutes, so hopefully that'll be enough time to cover it. Um, I, I, I know that the Sarge here, um, he's definitely going to want to talk about it. Philadelphia officer charged with murder in a shooting death. It was of Eddie, um, I guess, a, a razzery. There's a body cam video also um, that was released. So there is a body cam video component to this that we're describing in great detail. So Philadelphia police officer Mark Dial, he's been charged with murder in the shooting death of Eddie uh, Irizzi. And it happened last month in the city of Kensington. Uh, so the district attorney, Larry Krasner, he said during a Friday news conference that the full list of charges against the officer include murder, 
voluntary manslaughter, aggravated assault, simple assault, reckless endangering of another person, and official oppression. Wow. So they're loading this guy up. So the DA Krasner, he also released the body cam video from the August 14th shooting. The video was released at the request of the family member uh, of the family of the of the our deceased guy. So the video from Officer Dial's body-worn camera shows him getting out of a passenger side of a police SUV. He runs to a car that our bad guy was behind the wheel of. The officer can be seen holding a gun as he quickly approaches the car. Um, so in the surveillance video, you see this car come up, and it kind of backs into He had been running from the police, which you didn't know when you first start watching the the, uh, uh, the surveillance camera. But then the police car pulls up. You got um, two cops in it. And they both get out, but one runs around to the driver's side where this bad guy was. So the officer can be seen holding the gun as he quickly approaches the car. Now he shouts, show me your hands and I'll effing shoot you. And you hear this on the audio portion of the video as Officer Dial runs up to our bad guy's closed car window on the driver's side. So the officer, who's, his name is Dial, he fires five shots at point blank range. And then he runs past the front of the car while firing a sixth time. So Officer Dial's attorney is Brian uh, McMongle. He said that there's more to the story, though. Um, so the attorney says the video evidence in this case, which we've uncovered, demonstrates completely that Officer Dial got out of his car, ordered him to show his hands, and then heard gun. And you can hear it on the video. And this is according to the attorney. Um, so we asked, uh, according to the article, they asked the DA, whose name is Krasner, about the, this assertion. The DA would not go into any specifics about whether the body camera video gave any insight on that. And uh, here's a quote saying that he then saw an individual pointing what he thought was a gun right in his face. This is according to the attorney, fearing that he was going to be the next police officer killed in the streets of Philadelphia. He ended up firing at the bad guy. Uh, so Officer Dial, who has been on the force for five years, he was suspended with intent to dismiss after officials said that he refused to cooperate in the investigation of the killing. Police officials said the shooting happened after officers spotted the car driving erratically. They followed it for several blocks. Then officers approached as the driver turned the wrong way down a one-way street and stopped. So definitely non-compliant person, which makes him a bona fide bad guy. So on the day of the shooting, police officials said that our bad guy was outside the car when he was killed after lunging at police with a knife. Two days later, though, the department, they kind of changed the story. They said that our bad guy was fatally shot while sitting inside the car. Uh, we don't have a lot of information under that. Um, the Sergeant Jamie Borden has looked into this a little bit more, uh, but love to get the uh, get some thoughts on this, guys. What do you all think? Jessica, do you have anything to say? I could say a lot of things, but it's probably okay. not going to be good. <laughs> okay. So, so and, and again, you, you, you nailed this, Chip. Um, it, it, you, you, oh, I'm sorry. I, 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 so, Jessica, were you saying you probably had or you would like to say? Oh, let's no, no, get, no. no okay, no, all right. I'm surprised you said I nailed it because that, <laughs> that's the first. I'll have to go home and, and, and brag to my wife that I actually got something <laughs> right on a show for once. So so what you and, and what part of it you nailed is that there's so much more information that's not known in this incident. So uh, the problem is, is that in a, in a surface analysis, we don't know exactly why he's considered a bad guy. And there's a lot of stuff that we don't know, as his attorney has said. Now, what I did and what I would analyze in this event is behavior. Does the behavior match what the officer has stated and what evidence is available to support that uh, that 
connection, that common thread between what behavior we see and what information was available after the fact. What I do see is not someone who's responding to someone with a knife, as it was claimed earlier. When he draws his weapon, he, he's literally covering the side of his face. You see him ducking and running around the front of the car. That's not a response to someone who's locked in a car with a knife. That's, that's someone who is responding to the potential visual acquisition of a weapon, a firearm, something that can reach outside of that vehicle and, and cause damage. So that's the behavior that I look at. Now, again, I've got zero information on this particular case. Um, what I do know is that multiple rounds were fired. And what I would like to know is what was driving that officer's decision. And here's, here is the biggest problem that we that we run into is that we watch the video and it doesn't make sense to us well listen it doesn't have to make sense to us we have to know why it made sense to the officer in the moment that's the process with the analysis we need to know why it made sense to that officer in the moment that he found it necessary to use deadly force to protect himself or protect others. And and one of the biggest hurdles that we see is that we watch a video and it, and even on this show, we have people that are trying to make sense of the actions of an officer for themselves based on their training, their experience, their their uh, existence in law enforcement or or in their professional realm. It's not about why it does or doesn't make sense to us because we've got very limited information. Let's dig Let's find the information, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that the attorney has his, his grips on this. I'm hoping that the DA will understand that there are reasons behind it. Doesn't make it right, doesn't make it wrong, it doesn't make it anything except for actual. I want to know what actually happened, and to know that we have to know what the officer saw, what the officer reasonably, reasonably believed was a deadly threat, and why the officer thought it made sense in that moment to do what the officer did. You know... Um Thanks for saying that, uh, Jamie. Um, you know, I, I, I tell you, we're in Philadelphia. I mean, I could see why maybe the officers are a little bit apprehensive on a use of force. Um, you know, so I, I, what troubles me is when they, when they say that they're not cooperative with the investigation, that brings back to memories of Muhammad Noor that was with the Minneapolis Police Department. Remember, he shot Justine Damon, you know, in that alleyway and didn't cooperate. He was a Somali, uh, you know, recruit. Um, so, uh, I'm kind of curious where this is going to go. I hope we get more information coming down the pike on this. Well, and think about that. Didn't cooperate. What does that mean? Does that mean that they maintain the fifth, that they're not going to give a statement? That's not necessarily not cooperating. That's in Philadelphia. That's self-protection. Right. That's that's letting <laughs> yeah. an attorney navigate the 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 environment that Philadelphia officers are, are forced to work in. And it's not easy. I know. Well, look, thanks, guys. Uh, another another great show. Man, we had some really hot topics and some uh, and some great stories with video components, too. So thanks so much for the uh, breakdown, Jamie, for the Critical Instant Review. Appreciate it. And, uh, and Jessica, the Seattle uh, twist on everything. So thank you so much. Hey, I do want to mention real quick uh, the Wounded Blue, the woundedblue.org. It's Lieutenant Randy Sutton's 501c3 helping cops out in the world of hurt. And hey, they have that summit coming up. And guys, if you haven't registered for the summit yet, um, go to the woundedblue.org and check it out. They may still have some tickets left if you're lucky. Also, a shout out to our sponsors. We have Motion DSP, GullsGlobalOrdinance.com, GunLearn.com, MyMedicare.Live, and Bang Energy. Thanks for the fuel. Also, Brian Burns for the free press at TampaFP.com and Ray Dietrich, RedVoiceMedia.com. Thanks for the support. Have a wonderful rest of your week, guys.